0: This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning. So nice to be here. I have not been in this hall for two years because of the pandemic, so that's a long time to have not been sat in this seat, giving a lecture. Thank uh, Jiryu for inviting me, and, uh, for hosting me here this morning. All of you and my many good friends at Greenville. And all of my friends who I'm now seeing here online, welcome to the Greenville Farm Sunday morning lecture. Uh, I guess I feel a certain amount of just the joy and uh, thankfulness. Come here to Green Goats and see it so well taken care of by all of you uh, during this difficult time. You both take care of the physical environment, these beautiful temples, and take care of your practice so beautifully. So thank you very much for your practice. Yes, I noticed her when she came in her beautiful Jesus statue with her wish-fulfilling gem is standing behind me, supporting me. And in some ways, I feel that it's such a wonderful, great reminder of all the wonderful bodhisattvas all over the world, especially in Ukraine and in Eastern Europe, who are taking care of all the mothers and children. that are running from... This enormous tragedy that's happening over there bodhisattvas that are taking care of them are certainly to be held in our heart Jesus is a manifestation of the heart's desire to take care of children all over the world it is even more so important now Yes, Go higher. How's that? Okay. okay. I noticed it was last week we had some audio problem. Please interrupt me at any time. We don't use incense at City Center. So I think that's the first time I've been in Rwanda and actually offered incense in a couple of years too. A wonderful tradition that you keep doing in this large space. So uh, I'm gonna talk a little bit. Uh, in January, uh, Shindo David a., and I uh, gave a four week class on a newly discovered recorded lectures of Suzuki Roshi. Maybe all of you are familiar with them, but uh, these were 20 lost. Audio recordings of Suzuki that were done at uh, Marion Derby's home in 1965. In fact, they were the very earliest recordings done of Suzuki. She had a tape recorder there and had a discussion with She Said, would you let me record these?" And he said yes, and apparently expressed some interest to her about having a, a book published on the lectures. So it did turn out that those lectures that she recorded there. Becomes n Mind, Beginner's Mind. And um, today I'm gonna share a few paragraphs from the very first lecture Shindo and I taught from and the very last of the four lectures that we talked from. And it was very special because the first lecture that they discovered was the actual lecture that became the prologue of n Mind, Beginner's Mind. The famous saying, you know, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few listen to Suzuki Yoshi give that talk, it's, it's so beautiful to hear. And just to do a little promotion, you can go to the San Francisco Zen Center website and uh, click on um, offerings, and then you'll see a little box among the many offerings there that says Suzuki Roshi Archive. You click on that and it lists all these lectures that we're sort of rolling out every two weeks, we put a new one there. So there's 15 of them posted now. And you can and the audio quality is excellent so you actually she had a great tape recorder back then and the tapes were preserved for over 50 years so what's interesting about the tape when you actually listen to it of course is that you realize how much editing was done in producing the uh lectures that are in zen mind beginners mind so um that, that phrase, a beginner's mind, has essentially become synonymous with Zen. Isn't that wonderful? A Zen mind is a beginner's mind. It makes you think you know what a Zen mind is. Unless you wonder, well, what is a beginner's mind? What does civic actually mean by a beginner's mind? And, and this is the actual text from that audio, because those audios are all beautifully transcribed goes, in a beginner's mind, we have many possibilities, but in expert mind, there is not so much possibility. So in our practice, it is important to resume our original mind, our inmost mind, which we ourselves, even we ourselves, do not know what it is. That's from the master's mind. Even we ourselves do not know what it is, this original mind, this inmost mind, which is, of course, to the, equating with the beginner's mind. So, this is a kind of uh, exploration. What is this mind? You know, um, the beginner's word has a kind of familiarity to us. A beginner's mind means that And he goes on, a beginner's mind means our experience should always be refreshed and renewed. It means always have the joy of discovering something, the same joy as children discovering something new. We have an intuitive feeling for that. We can kind of cast our mind back to when we were, maybe we can't, I can't remember. I kind of think I can remember early days when I was learning how to move as a child, but anyway, the discovery of what it is to have a human body, the discovery of what it is to walk, that beginner's sense, which sort of gets uh, slowed down a little bit in our old age, and um, but watching children, we get that same kind of sense, so I think we get a feeling for uh, that beginner's mind, um, uh, kind of a mind of curiosity, curious, open mind, that we can connect to. The kind of inquiring mind, which we always say is such an important part of them. I've been either fortunate or unfortunate, one never knows about this, but I've had many careers in my life. So I've been cast into many situations where I had to learn a new what I was doing. So I was always having to be a beginner, I was a beginner at finance, a beginner at marketing, a beginner at then a beginner at many different things that I did. And um, of course my beginner's mind always is clouded with a certain amount of anxiety about being a beginner. But the beginner's mind we're talking about here hopefully we have not so much anxiety but more a sense of refreshing inquisitiveness. But the more important thing is he goes on, he says an inmost mind, an original mind, like it's something we already have. Our original mind, a mind we had always, even before we were born, this mind is with us. It kind of reminds me of that wonderful koan, um, ordinary mind is the way. JiaoJiao asked Shuan, what is the way? That's a wonderful question. JiaoJiao was probably like some of you, maybe. Not some of you my friends that have been here for 40 years, but some of you that have been here what is, what is that? What actually is the way? And to ask that with some kind of sincerity, I think of our our training. So So Nanchwan's answer, which is so beautiful, is, Ordinary mind is the way. And then GiaoGio, wondering kind of what he's talking about, says, should I try to direct myself toward it? And Nantuan said, if you try to direct yourself, you betray your own practice. GiaoGio says, how can I know the way if I don't direct myself? And this beautiful, almost poetic answer that Nantuan said, the way is not subject to knowing or not knowing. Knowing is delusion. Not knowing is blankness or stupidity. If you truly reach the genuine way, you will find it as vast and boundless as outer space. How can this be discussed at the level of affirmation and negation? Ordinary mind's way. Well, that's that's great news. That means that my just everyday mind was is the way, kind of always got it here, no problem. I mean that's great. Except for I came to Zen because my ordinary mind way was causing suffering, pretty filled with delusion and craziness. So, what's he actually talking about here? Um, but nonchalant is saying. Uh, everyday actions, ordinary things, speaking to someone, having breakfast, cleaning the dishes and so on. These things that we have limited and reduced by our preconceptions and habits of mind, by our conditioning, these things are in fact something wonderful, something vast, unknown and mysterious. Only we could let go and shed ourselves of our limited ways of looking at things. We could find joy and satisfaction with everything. This is the Zen message and understanding. But let the light inside of everything shine forth. I think that is what makes Zen practice so wonderful the recognition that it's not about special activity. It's about each and every activity and each and every moment. Uh, It can continue a little bit with a poetic aspect of this beautiful story. Wuman has a verse which goes, spring comes with flowers, autumn with the moon, Summer with breeze, winter with snow. When the idle concerns don't hang in your mind, that is your best season. Returning uh, to the beginner's mind—he—he uh, he was kind of living example of that mind. It was a very fortunate fact to meet a man who lived with that kind of mind. He, to meet him was to feel his immediacy. Uh, Trimpa, who I met in those early days, said in the memorial to Siddharthi, all his gestures and communications were naked and to the point. As though you were dealing with the burning tip of an incense stick. At the same time, this was by no means irritating, for whatever happened around the situation was quite accommodating. In my experience with the was similar. He had an uncanny sense of the moment and how to respond to it. But when i think back on him the most important part was his kindness to us which is clear in this quote at the end of the beginner's mind talk that i did in january for that small group that he, that small group that man would go this is a maybe 15 or 20 people in the living room this is before tassar before City center and the grocery would go and visit them in Los Altos and go over to Berkeley and visit Nellis Place and go up to Mill Valley, visit students there, small groups thinking. And he said, I was very much impressed by your practice this morning. Although your posture was not perfect, and there's laughter on the face, not just his laughter, but everybody's laughter. But the feeling you have here is wonderful. There is no comparison to it. The feeling you have here is wonderful. There is no comparison to it. At the same time, we should make our effort to keep this feeling forever in your practice. This is a very, very important point. I've I've been to Eheiji where Suzuki Roshi was trained. Their posture is quite good at Eheiji. Mikrioshi knew what good posture was, but, and so that laugh and we knew our posture wasn't so great you know. But the feeling was so wonderful. Our effort, our sincerity, needing his effort and sincerity is what established uh, this practice here in America. So and I also like that comment you should Keep this feeling forever. It's a it's a kind of a little bit of a tricky uh, process. It's not recommended that we try to measure how our practice is going, because it, uh, it, it gets confusing and it's not very it's actually impossible. But still, you should have some feeling in your practice that it's kind of going okay. You know that it's. The right thing for you to be doing, even if you're going through uh, a tough phase, there's a part of you that knows, okay, I, I need this is difficulty that's coming up in my life that I need to deal with because this is what I need to take care of. A friend of mine who was doing couples therapy, with a student of mine actually, and and she said to me, I don't really look forward to going to therapy. But I know that I should, I know that this is important, so so, uh, you should have some feeling like that in your practice, because practice is what you should be doing. I wonder if you're looking forward to the time when we come into the a Sunday Lecture and there's 100 people here, having this whole space all to yourself. I think it's time for us to, to come back and be with us. I'm hoping for that. We'll at our city center. Thank you. So I'm going to switch, because I have a little bit more time, and talk about the another lecture that we previewed in that four-week session. and In that lecture, Siddharthi said, the purpose of studying Buddhism is to study ourselves and to forget ourselves. When we forget ourselves, we actually are the true activity of big existence or reality itself. When we realize this, there is no problem whatsoever in this world, and we can enjoy our life without feeling any difficulty. So well, this teaching, uh, you should be so familiar with it. it, comes from a well-known paragraph of the Gendu Khan and Kazutana Hashi's translation is, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. So I thought it was interesting that in 1965 uh, Suchiroshi uh, introduced this. Up until 1965 Suchiroshi lectured mostly on the Blue Cliff Record. I, I have all the early transcripts of those. And they're all different beautiful Blue Cliff Record, uh, which are hopefully coming out soon in another book from Zen Center. they the edited versions of it. Anyway, Kaz Tanahashi, who's been a long-term friend of Zen Center and great activist in the world. Uh, and that's Roshi in 1964. He'd come over from Japan uh, and he said, uh, What kind of text do you teach, Reverend? And Reverend Suzuki said, The Blue Cliff Record. I said, Why not Dogen? Dogen is too difficult for American students, Suzuki said. As if Luke of Record is easy. But anyway, um, and uh, then uh, Kaz said, don't you think you should present your best when you teach foreign students? I think Dogan is your best. I believe Dogan is not only an important Zen master and imaginative poet, but the greatest thinker Japan has ever produced. He is fantastic. It doesn't matter if your students don't understand him. Teach Dogen. This is from a very young 20-year-old person telling Suzuki what to do. So I think Suzuki immediately asked him to give a lecture, which I think plummets his callous a little bit. But anyway, whether influenced by cause or not, in 1965 Suzuki began teaching Dogen. It isn't as if those early lectures around Zukit's record don't have the feeling of Dogen in them, because I play people think that's mostly what Suzuki taught. But uh, it's, he started in 1965 uh, doing a series of lectures on the Genjo Koan, which is sort of the first you know, the text that's most often studied in English in the, the Shogogogenso. And he chose this paragraph that is very familiar as the first he presented. Kind of in some ways, the essence of the Genjo Koan, and that's the essence of the Shogogogenso, as some would say. Um, anyway, he gave 15 talks between 1965, a lot in 65, a lot in 66, and some in 67, on the Gendro Cohen, which were assembled as a book, uh, Dogen, uh, Dogen's Gendro Cohen, Three Commentaries, and a beautiful collections of these. They weren't, he didn't teach sort of systematically, but they managed to assemble all the lectures into a, a, a systematic way through the Gendro Cohen. And just for those of you who are not familiar with you out there in the world, I'm sure all the students here are familiar with Genjo Koan. Uh, Genjo Koan has many, that's the title of uh, this uh, particular essay, has many translations. uh, The Koan of the Present Moment or to answer the question from true reality through the practice of our everyday activity. That's Shohaka Okumura. Kind of, I kind of like that to answer the question from the true reality. In this moment, there's a question for you. And through your practice of everyday activity, you answer that question. So the Groshi's translation of, again, the, was, the koan of everyday life. Everyday life, koan to you. Suzuki Roshi taught the practice of zazen and the genjo koan are inextricably bound. Our practice of answering that koan of everyday life and zazen are inextricably bound. The genjo koan, distilled through his years of practicing zazen, was the core of Suzuki Roshi's So I'm going to talk a little bit about this to study the Buddha way is to study the self. That means observe your life honestly. Be willing to admit, this is how I feel. Not, I wish I felt some other way. I mean, you can say that and then you can notice, oh, this is how I wish I felt. But anyway, view your actual life. What are you thinking? How your body feels? What you're doing? This is how I'm interacting with the world. And to study yourself this way is without prejudice or judgment. We study ourselves to accept ourselves, to settle into ourselves, to stand in our actual life, and to begin to see our life as much bigger than our mind thinks it is, and much freer than our mind thinks it is. This is a quote from an earlier lecture of Sudaroshi that I ran into and thought it was appropriate here. Zen may be said to be the practice of cultivating, cultivating our mind to make it deep and open enough to accept the various ideas and thoughts that are there. When this kind of acceptance takes place, everything will orient itself according to its own nature and the circumstances. We call this activity the great activity. Reality can be said to be the bed that is deep and soft enough to accept everything as it is. Deep and soft enough to accept everything as it is. The reality we live in. So I'm going to go in a little bit different direction and talk about uh, what studying, another sort of aspect of studying the characters that this study comes from can be translated to be intimate with. We're trying to be intimate with our life. And the characters have two components. One meaning is wings of a bird and the other is being self. So to study means to study the way a baby bird studies his parents to learn to fly. And I was kind of fascinated by that, so I went on the marvelous internet. Sometimes it's marvelous. And they have these videos of these seabirds up in Alaska that are raised on 300-foot cliffs above the ocean. And after about 20 days of their parents flying out and getting food from the ocean, bringing it back, they have to fly. And they don't get any rehearsal. This is just watching their parent flying and then they just jump off and store, and they have to make it all the way to the ocean. There's beaches down there. It's just amazing to watch. And uh, somehow, when I was watching that, I had that sort of sense of become intimate with our life. Is also sort of, in some ways, to plunge into it. You know, to dive into our life, to take a risk and live our life. Like that bird, baby bird comes off the cliff and lands in the ocean. Maybe it was like that when we first learned how to get up and walk, well, we can do it again. Not so much using our thinking mind to figure yourself out, to take the risk to really become who you actually are. That's completely, totally unique person and figure out how to express the deep connection you have to everything else through your unique person. So, uh, uh, Suzuki Roshi says, if you try to understand who you are, it is an endless task, and you will never see yourself. It is very difficult to try to think about yourself reach a conclusion is almost impossible, and if you can cont- continue trying, you will become crazy and you won't know what to do with yourself. That is true. If you're going to use your mind to figure out who you are, you're in deep trouble. And so he quotes this thing from Dungshan, don't try to see yourself objectively. Don't try to seek for information about yourself. That is information. The real you is not that kind of thing. And, and Sri gave this beautiful example, which I've always loved. He said, when you see someone practicing sincerely, you see yourself. If you are impressed by someone's practice, you may say, oh, she is doing very well. That he is neither she nor you. When you are struck by someone's practice, you see yourself. That is the real you. That you is the pure experience of practice. You know, I, I, I think in some sense he was talking to us because you would look at people who practicing and say, I, I want to live like that. I want to be like that. But in seeing it, and you being struck by the quality of this practice, that is you. That is your your practice. That's the real you, that connection. It's in that connection that your practice is, and in that connection that you are. It's to experience life without the subject-object separation. It is not, not I seeing you out there, but me feeling the connection. To study of the self is to forget the self. All this work, figuring out who the self is, and now we're supposed to forget it? Well, there are many ways to talk about this, but I'm just going to point out one area. To forget the self is to see your own craziness and not take it so personally. Be with your experience in a non-judgmental way, and you may notice how much of your experience is around yourself your self-concern. Did I do okay? Why did this person disrespect me? They don't accept me. They don't like me. Just, I was. Self-concern is the organizing principle of all our thoughts and feelings. You almost get that feeling after you've sat for a while. Why is all my thinking about me in some way or another? And this, of course, is a cause of great suffering. If we can let go of our self-concern, that is the root to happiness. Such a relief. Put that down for a while. He says, when we forget ourselves, we actually are the true activity of the big existence, or reality itself. When you realize this fact, there's no problem whatsoever in this world, and we can enjoy our life without feeling any difficulties. Doesn't mean that we don't feel suffering of the world. some capacity to have joy in the midst of all, of our suffering and the suffering of the world. Of course, then, this is the magic part of this thing. To study Zen is to study self, forget to study the self is to forget the self and then to forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. To actualized on you things to let the entire world go through you. When you let yourself go, you can appreciate the world you live in, even the tragic part. No longer dividing it into things that are good for you and things that are bad for you. This is renunciation. You know, the wonderful story that I read in the book by Dale Wright, Philosophic Meditations on Zen Buddhism. He was talking about Wang Bo. Iconic teacher in the time dynasty, and Wang Bo said, pictures enlightened ancestors in real-life situations facing themselves so that the true contour of the situation comes to disclosure in them. It's a big sentence, a a lot in there. Facing themselves. Forgetting themselves so that the true contour of whatever situation they're in is disclosed in them and through them. Open ourselves to the world and let it be us. They encounter the world not through acts of will and mind primarily, but through relinquishment, letting go of themselves, opening their own minds and will the larger context of the situation that then becomes manifest through that. who knows what long ago said but somehow over a thousand years somebody had assembled it into a beautiful idea well, maybe I probably talked enough Finish. I think the Asim Tosir Gershi's teaching is if you live in each moment that is Zen. Whether you're sitting or working, living in each moment is Zen. It is our everyday life. Look and see what's going on in this moment of your living. Every moment is gone in a flash. Life goes by very quickly. Whatever our problem, difficult relationships, mourning, great loss, pain in our body, suffering in our mind, that is your life. It's our life. But we get lost in our problems. We don't notice how marvelous it is to be alive because we are so busy. We don't notice how wonderful it is to be alive and share this life with other people and how great it is that we are together. We forget. We forget to be grateful to live a human life and how good it is. It's natural. It's a part of being human to forget. But if we practice, we'll forget less often. May you all be safe and healthy. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center.